thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Please place again at 2 Peter chapter 3 if you've lost it. This will serve as the basis for the morning message. And we're here to consider what constitutes maturity in a Christian's life. How would you know if you're maturing? And how would you ensure your own maturing? That's what this passage really climaxes in at the end. We're going to begin with verse 10. You caught quickly, I'm sure, the fact that Peter is describing the end of time as we know it. The earth will be incinerated with such incredible heat, no elements will remain. And then there will be the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. And that's going to be a great day for those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's dig in here in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. That's rather harrowing when you read it on the surface. I remember as a boy, one of my close friends, younger brother, and that younger brother was actually a friend of mine. The three of us attended the same church and we had a guest speaker come and he spoke on this very subject and he talked about the end of times and it was pretty scary for us. I was probably about 10, 12 years old and my friend the same age and his brother three years younger. That night when my friend and his brother went home, their mother had accompanied them as had their father to the service and they were having a little trouble, especially the younger child, Larry is his name, he's still living, and he was having a bit trouble going to sleep. His mother prayed with him and he finally settled down and she went in to the bathroom nearby and she was reaching for some medicine in the medicine cabinet and accidentally it fell from her hand and it shattered and made quite a noise. And he, st- he stood up, his, this little guy, Larry Murphy, stood up and screamed out, it isn't Jesus coming, is it? He was afraid. <laughs> He'd heard all about it and it scared him. Well, we need not be afraid of the second coming of Jesus Christ, provided we're ready. And this passage gives us some insight into how we get ready. Verse 11 says, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? We're to be people who by conduct are holy and godly. So what does that mean? The word holy seems like a word that we only use in association with really committed people to Christ. But the reality is we learned this last week when we looked at the passage in 1 Peter chapter 1 where Peter introduces 
his teaching to a wide range of people. They were people from all over a large geographical area. And he speaks of all of those who were in the church as being people who are chosen by God according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, sanctified by the Holy Spirit to obey Jesus and be covered with the blood of Christ. Well, that's a mouthful. But the thing which we really focused on last week was that the Holy Spirit, among other things, sanctifies us. We also discovered that the idea of being sanctified is the idea of being made holy. It is the work of God's Holy Spirit. When you give your life to Christ, you yield your life to Him. You give your whole being to Him in exchange for His forgiveness and His assurance to you that when you die or when Christ comes again, you will be with Jesus forever. What a transaction. Nothing like it. Just think of it. The life of the God-man Jesus dying for me as an individual and you. And we need to make sure that we have that kind of relationship with Him. And He has made sure of it in the fact that He gave Himself for us. And then God the Father has given us, who trust in Jesus Christ alone, a place of infinite security in the kingdom of God. And we exhibit the kind of life that we ought if we know Christ. That doesn't mean we're perfect by any means. But what it does mean is that God's Spirit has come to live in us. We saw that. The Bible says, what do you not know? That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and you are not your own. That's what happens when we receive Christ. He does not fit His body down inside of ours. Otherwise, He would be confined to one body again, just like he was in his time on earth as Jesus Christ, the God-man. But by the Holy Spirit, we are able to be the house, as it were, the temple of Christ. He comes to live in us by the Holy Spirit. What a marvelous gospel. And in his presence, he influences us to holiness. We'll talk more about that a little later. But before I forget it, I want to make mention of this. Remember, we have been called to godliness and holy conduct. So whose responsibility is it for you or for me to be holy? Is it God's responsibility or my responsibility? And the answer is yes on both counts. For instance, in the book of Philippians, the second chapter, the Bible tells us as followers of Christ that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to act according to His good pleasure. We cooperate with the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God prompts us. And He not only prompts us to be obedient, to Christ and to God the Father and to the Spirit Himself, 
He equips us for that by His presence. And we saw also that the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to sanctify us, to make us holy, to empower us to live the life that God calls us to live is found in the Word of God. Jesus prays to the Father just a few hours before He was crucified. He says, Father, sanctify them by Your truth. Your Word is truth. Christ petitions the Father on our behalf and the Father answers that. So the means whereby we are made holy and are able to live a life of holy conduct and also godliness is to be found in the person of God, the Holy Spirit living in us and speaking to us through the Word of God. Look at verse 12. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will, be, will melt with intense heat. Let me stop here just a moment. He's describing what a person who knows Jesus Christ is looking forward to. It's not a vacation somewhere. It's not a new job or a new house or a new friend or a new mate. What's it about? It's about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The very presence of God by the Spirit in us instigates and makes us want to be more than curious regarding the coming of Christ. The Apostle Paul, as he closes the last of the letters which he wrote, it's known as 2 Timothy, he says this to Timothy, the time of my departure has come. He knew he was facing the end of his life because he had been sentenced to execution by beheading by Nero, the emperor of Rome. He's wanting to have some communication with his dear son in the faith as he calls him earlier in that letter to Timothy. And he's telling him he knows his time has come, but he's optimistic. He's not optimistic in the sense that he believes he's going to be set free at the 11th hour leading up to his execution. Rather, he's optimistic because he knows when he does lose his head, which he would undergo execution by beheading, he knows that he's going to be with Christ in heaven because that's what Christ has promised him. And let me tell you, if you know Jesus Christ, that's your promise too. God has given that to you and to me if we trust Him. But he says he's looking forward to it because on that day he's going to receive a crown and he describes it as a crown of righteousness. And he says that crown, it's some sort of reward in heaven, that crown will be given not only to him, but to everyone who loves the appearing of Jesus Christ. That would mean looks forward to the return of Jesus Christ. Do you love the appearing of Jesus Christ? Let me give you a test that will help you to know whether that's true of you. Because if we love His appearing, we want other people to come into the group of people who love His appearing. In 
part of one verse in the book of Romans. It's so easily overlooked. Romans 16, 20. At the very end of that beautiful document we know is the letter to the church at Rome. He makes this statement. He says, the Lord will soon crush Satan under your feet. He's talking about the ultimate defeat and final defeat of Satan. What's he getting at when he writes that? What is Paul communicating? What is the Holy Spirit trying to tell those Roman Christians and us 20 centuries later? Well, when you go to the book of Ephesians, you know at the end of that book, if you're familiar with it, Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, we're in a cosmic battle. And the devil is the orchestrator, the commander of all these rulers, authorities, powers, etc. of the heavenly realms. And then Paul proceeds under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to say, put on the whole armor of God. Take your stand. Four times he says, stand up against the devil. And by the way, in the book of James, there's a similar wording in the original language, at least, in the fourth chapter, verses 7 and 8. This is what the Holy Spirit leads James to write to the believers of his day. He begins by saying, submit yourself, therefore, to God. That's the beginning of a relationship with God. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And the word resist is the same word that Paul uses those four times in the last part of Ephesians 6 when he says, stand up, stand up, stand up. Uh, in other words, we are not to turn tail and run from Satan. We are to what? We are to submit ourselves to God, and we have the promise of God that he will soon crush Satan under our feet. We stand up against the devil and draw near to God is the way James concludes that passage. And God will draw near to you. That's reminiscent of what the writer of Hebrews says at the end of his long epistle. He says this on behalf of God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Once you come to know God through Jesus Christ... He will not leave. He is there to stay. And among other things, according to 2 Thessalonians 3.3, the Lord will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. And when we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, going back to Ephesians chapter 6, one of the elements of the armor of God is that our feet be fitted with the gospel of of peace. We shod with the gospel of peace. And what do feet do? They tread, do they not? And they're going to tread on the devil when you and I share Christ. We become part of a vast throng of people who know Christ and want others to know. Do you want people to come to know Jesus Christ? That's a foolish question for me to ask to a group like this. Do you have great freedom in sharing Jesus Christ? Now, we'll get very 
few people who would say, yeah, I really have that freedom so much so that I share him as much as I would share anything else I share in the way of news to other people. And this is the best news. But here's the good news for each of us. Christ is in us by this Spirit. Jesus says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. That is what we are promised in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the remotest part of the earth. In other words, wherever our home is and surrounding areas, we have the power of God's Spirit in us. And certainly, we have butterflies every once in a while. Sometimes, and these are very few in number, I have no fear whatsoever, no suggestion that I should keep my mouth shut when I'm inclined to share Christ. More times, I have that, that feeling. A man by the name of Dawson Trotman, who died what would be considered by many a premature death, he died as he was leading the annual conference of the ministry he had founded. It was known and still is known as the Navigators. He was in Scroon Lake, New York, and when they had finished sessions on teaching, what they did, they were recreating and there was a, a boat and the boat was letting students, they were college students there, letting them ski. And it was quite a large boat. And there was one young lady, among others, who were sitting on the sides of the boat and felt secure. And there was a sharp turn that the driver made, and in that moment, one of the young ladies who could not swim lost her balance and fell into that lake. It was a deep lake, a cold mountain lake. Dawson Trotman was there, and Dawson did what anyone would have done who could swim, and he was a good swimmer. He told the driver to come back around where the young lady had entered the water, and she was still thrashing around, trying to keep from drowning. And he dived into that pool of water and he held her up when the driver came back around and several hands grabbed her and put her into the boat, safe and secure. It required another turn around. By the time the driver had gotten back to where the young lady had been rescued, there was no sight of Dawson Trotman. He did not resurface. It was a somber moment, filled with tears and anxiety, because this was a man who had led many of those to Christ and discipled them. He was a godly man. A search was made by a team trying to find the body, and they found it at the exact spot on the bottom of that lake. And when they found his body, he was in a kneeling position. He died praying. When the autopsy was done on his body, it was discovered that he had lived all of his life. He was in his early 50s at this time, and he was highly energetic. He said, the autopsy report said that he had been born with a heart defect 
that the stress of that instance led to a fatal heart attack. In his own words, this is what he said in his own words, recorded in both of the biographies I have read on his life, Dawson Trotman's life, said that when he talked about sharing Christ, and by the way, he made a promise to the Lord that he would not go to bed any night without sharing Jesus with somebody else. Now that's quite a commitment. And he kept the commitment. One night, he had had a particularly busy day doing work, discipling men. And 11 o'clock, he lay down in his bed and all of a sudden he said, oh no, I haven't witnessed to people about Christ today. He got up, got dressed. He lived in a rather small town in Southern California. If you can believe there are small towns in Southern California. This was in the 1930s. So, so he went to the train depot or depot, depending on your pronunciation. Some of you are thinking, what in the world is that? Well, it was a place where people came into a town of that size and left on a train that would stop there. And he went there and he said, oh Lord, help me to find somebody. He got there and there was one person there. Apparently he was a businessman. Could tell by his attire. He held a briefcase in hand, had a nice hat on, a professional man. And he went up to the man and told him why he was there. Told him the story in effect. And Trotman shared the gospel with that man. And to Trotman's surprise, the man prayed to receive Christ. Miracle of miracles. God wants people like you and me to realize that there are people waiting to hear the gospel and they don't know how they're going to hear it. They may not even know they need Jesus Christ. But the Bible says the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Do you remember when you heard the gospel? And did it have an impact upon you? If you know Christ, it had an incredible impact on you. And God wants to continue to do that. This is what Trotman said in that biography. He said, every time I start to share the gospel, I have fear. He said, it's like, as I ref reflected on it, it's like the Holy Spirit warning me that it's He who is the one who can save, not I who can save anybody. It is a warning to me that I need to be depending on the Holy Spirit of God to do the miracle of birthing people into the kingdom of God. Remember the encounter that Nicodemus had with Jesus? And what did Jesus say to him? He said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He was speaking, I believe, of the two births. The first birth, through water. When a woman gives birth, her water breaks through water. And the second birth, by the Spirit, born again, internally, given the life of Christ. So what we need to understand is God wants to use us. Without exception, He wants to use you. 
You don't have to have a lot of savvy when it comes to doing that. You just have to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's right there. Here is what it says in 1 Corinthians. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and he was raised again on the third day according to the scripture. Certainly there's some elaboration on what it means to be a sinner and how Christ paid the price, why he was equipped to do that. But we are people whom the Lord is looking to, to join in the work of the Lord in this regard. Look at verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, godless, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. You know why the Lord's not come back yet? He's waiting. The Bible says, and Jesus talks about this, when the last person comes to know Jesus, we don't know who he is, only the Father knows who and when that will be. When the last person is born again, then the end will come. It'll come quickly, suddenly, and there'll be no warning. We look at the signs of the times. I was talking to a brother after the message this morning. We were talking about the second coming of Christ. And it has seemed many times in past history that he's coming. And we were talking about it really looks like he's coming soon now. Maybe we're in the last series of events leading up. The last of the birth pangs, as Jesus described it. But whatever it is, we want to be ready. And we want to help people to get ready for that moment too. And we show forth the patience of Christ in us, really. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus so that we don't freak out. We don't panic about everything that's going on because we're centered in Christ and we're intent upon getting people ready as God gives us the opportunity to share the gospel. He goes on to say in verse 16 about his beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom which Paul was given by the Spirit of God, wrote, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. Do you ever find the Bible hard to understand? I'm sure you do. I do too sometimes. But if we are men and women who read the Word, we ask the Spirit of God to teach us, we will not miss anything that is necessary to know Christ and have salvation. At the same time, we will know how to give every man an answer for a question he might ask us about the hope which we have. It's rather simple. Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. That's the simple gospel message. Hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own destruction. Now we're getting close to the part that talks about our maturity or lack thereof. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard against what? 
being carried away by the error of unprincipled men. Do you know that practically every New Testament book, 27 of them, each one was given so that we would know how to identify false teachers, preachers, prophets, apostles, but also know how to come against them and warn others about them. Unprincipled men. They sound so smart, but they are wolves in sheep's clothing, Jesus would say. You fall, fall and you fall from your own steadfastness. The idea being, even we who know Christ, we can be fooled. Look at verse 18. This has to do with maturity. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let's stop right there. Literally, this is what it says. Keep on growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You're probably aware of the fact that there are two parts of your body which continue to grow as you age. Your nose, that's right, that's why people get nose jobs, <laughs> and your ears, your nose and your ears. Spiritually speaking, we need to ask the Lord, Lord, keep my spiritual ears growing. I want to hear what you have to say. I want to be sensitive to know what you're saying. Make me a woman, make me a man who continues growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Remembering what we saw last week, what Jesus says seven times in two chapters in Revelation, let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The Spirit of God is speaking to us today on different levels. But ultimately, He's teaching us that we are to keep on growing in grace. Now, what is grace? Grace is the opposite of man's inclination in man's attempt to get right with God. Man's attempts are in his own energy, using his own initiative, his own intuition. How do I get to God? We see it in religions all over the world. Works are the key. But that is not what the New Testament says. We are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. So put that concept that you have to work your way into heaven to bed, bury it. Don't just put it to bed. Bury it, because it's not the truth. It's grace, so the opposite of works is grace. Grace is unmerited favor. Somebody had to do us a favor to give us the opportunity to be recipients of this unmerited favor. That someone is none other than Jesus Christ Himself, who being perfect, yielded Himself. And God the Father made Jesus Christ the Son who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. How, how come? So that we might become the children of God. Praise the Lord for that. This is the message of the Gospel. That's grace. We are to keep on growing in grace. So if I'm already in Christ, 
and I'm already the beneficiary of everything he's ever done or ever will do on the behalf of mankind, why do I have to keep on growing? I'm glad you asked. In the book of 2 Timothy again, chapter 2, verse 1, this is what we hear Paul writing to the one whom he treasured as a spiritual son. He said, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The power of grace is not simply for our introduction into the kingdom of God, but it is for our sanctification too. We have to depend upon the Spirit of God if we are going to accomplish the mission that He's given us to do. We've talked about primary mission. What is it? Sharing Christ with people, helping people come to know Jesus, living it out in such a way, being unashamed of the gospel. That's what it's all about. And knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This knowledge is a mystery to people who do not know Christ. That's the very word that is used. It's not like a mystery novel. You've got to figure it out. It's a mystery in that we are blinded before we come to Christ. That's what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. We are darkened in our understanding, in our mind. It's bleak and dark in our minds because sin has blocked our capacity to know God. And the devil himself is described in many ways in the New Testament, but I'm just going to use one at this point. He is the God of this age who masquerades as an angel of light, and in so doing, he blinds the minds of unbelievers. You may be here today and you may say, I don't think I've given my heart to Christ. I don't think I've yielded to Him. Your mind is being opened, hopefully, today by the truth of who Jesus is found in Scripture. And He is knocking on your door. Acknowledging Him is the way we come to know Him. Jesus says, this is eternal life. Listen carefully. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. How does one know God? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Grow, keep on growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. I'm going to give you some quick hindrances to our not growing. We do not feed on the Word of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, we read these words. Like newborn babies crave the pure milk of the Word of God. The Word of God is our food. God gives us the Bible. But if we are people who are not taking it in properly because we don't do what the Word says or we're distracted, we're led astray by false teachers and they don't teach the whole counsel of God, they teach part of it. Those are the most dangerous kind of false teachers. They only preach that which really tickles our fancy in our ear. 
We need to be able to distinguish the difference between the truth and a lie, and it's found here in the Word of God. You don't have to have someone like me teach you or somebody else. There are people who can help us, but you read the Scripture. Who is the ultimate teacher? The Holy Spirit is the teacher of teachers, and He will teach you if you come asking Him to teach you. He will indeed teach you and help you. Here's another hindrance. Inconsistent intake. How often do you eat food? I'm talking about physical food. Probably at least once a day. Some of you twice, some three, some maybe more. You need it, do you not, to sustain life? Well, the Bible is the Word of God is the food God gives us. And we need to be consistent. Every day would be very significant. And we should want that kind of walk with the Lord, to fellowship with Him, not sporadic. Many times we're impatient. I read about a man who was studying to be a pastor. He asked the principal of the Bible college he attended, he said, are there any shortcuts here to get my degree? He said, well, it depends on what kind of degree you want. And then he illustrated it this way to the student. He said, if you want to grow a squash, it takes about three months to do that. If you want to grow an oak tree, it takes about 50 years or more. Pick your way. The point being is, it takes time. If you studied how trees grow and develop, you know they only grow about one inch to two inches, a deciduous tree, one inch or two inches a year in diameter. That's slow growth, isn't it? What's the rest of the time? And the growing season is somewhere about six weeks to eight weeks. What's going on the rest of the time? Here's what the scientists, botanists tell us about this is that the rest of the year is used to solidify the soft tissue that is always characteristic of new growth in plants. So we need to be aware that our impatience sometimes results in such things. It takes time. We can't take a shortcut. But don't get impatient. Just know that's the will of God. It's the way He wants us to be. Remember the movie Big? Tom Hanks, 13-year-old Josh Baskin was his character. And he got a fortune he read at some sort of, I guess, amusement park in Zocar Speaks, I think, or Zolar. I can't remember if it's a Lar or car. But all of a sudden, he gets his wish. His wish is that he could skip adolescence and go right into adulthood. The next morning, he wakes up and he's like that. But it was fun for a few days, but it was miserable in the long run because he was still a 13-year-old in a 30-year-old's body. And it just didn't work for him. Don't be impatient. Don't be introspective either. You cannot feel your body growing, can you? You can feel it growing old, but I'm talking about when you're, when you're growing to get your full height. 
it, 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 it just happens, doesn't it? You can't feel it. You can't feel your spiritual growth. It's not about feeling, friends. It's about commitment of your will to follow Christ and yield your life to Him. I'd like to ask you to turn to a, another book not far, to the book of Galatians. We're going to finish up here. Galatians, back toward the front of your New Testament. And we're going to look at chapter 5. And this is a description of why we don't grow and what the roadblock to growth is among those that we've seen, of course, but this one big roadblock. Look at verse 16 of chapter 5. I say, walk by the Spirit. In other words, walk in dependence upon the Holy Spirit. You will never grow until you learn how to say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, lead me. And you might not even feel anything. Remember, it's not about feelings. It's about what the Word says in our trusting God's Word. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The flesh is that part of me or that part of you that resents and resists the Holy Spirit's leadership. Even after we come to Christ, sometimes we find it very easy to follow the Lord. But many times we find a resistance in our hearts and we find ourselves thinking, saying, doing things that are incompatible with the person of God and the Holy Spirit, Jesus. Look at verse 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, Holy Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. Flesh is myself. You want to simplify it? Just think of self. Self in all the self-hyphenated words in our language. He goes on to say in the middle of verse 17, For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you want to do. Anybody here besides me like that? I make up my mind. I'm going to shape up. I'm going to fly right. Do you ever do that? But the problem is, that's Mike Woods wanting to do that. It's my drawing on my own willpower. But what I have to conclude is, that is the best and fastest way to sabotage growth, depending on me rather than giving full yieldedness to the Holy Spirit of God. You might say, how will I know that I've done that? Well, it begins with a decision on your part to yield yourself to the Lord. And by faith, it's an act of faith. And you believe what God says in His Word. And you say, Lord, I come to you humbly and I yield myself to you. Would you please fill me, control me, and help me win the battle against myself. And then, Lord, help me to be no longer on the defensive, but help me to be on the offensive, being part of that group of people whom you want to use to introduce people to Jesus so they too can be ready when He comes. Let's pray. Where you are sitting right now, if the Lord said something to you today, and you know it, don't let this moment pass you by. In an instant, you can go from 
not knowing God, not knowing Jesus, not knowing the Holy Spirit to being a person who has been given eternal life. If you will humble yourself in your heart and say, Lord, I'm tired of trying to run my life. I've made a mess of it. I'm unhappy, dissatisfied. You know that, Lord. I want to give myself to you. Just pray a prayer like that to the Lord. Be sincere. He hears that prayer. And in that instant, you will be set apart by God as his son or daughter and also equipped in seed form, at least, to be someone who brings honor and glory to him. Amen.